Happy Mother's Day to you all. We are starting a new series in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and uh, as, it's interesting because I really struggled with, are we going to start this series or punt it till next week because it's Mother's Day? And as I was studying, I did something that you should do when you study the Bible. I went back and read the chapter before, which is the end of Numbers, right? Like so many times when we study the Bible, we don't go back and we don't go back far enough. We don't, we don't think. We just stay where we're at, try to get an application point and do it in our own strength instead of looking for the whole story. Well, when you go back to the last chapter in Numbers, it's about these daughters that didn't have a way to provide children for, to be heirs for the land they were getting ready to inherit. And they were really concerned and they came to Moses and what do we do? And it's the story of these daughters who submitted to the law to become pregnant, to, to, to marry, to, to prepare their lives. And we kind of covered the law that they obeyed a few weeks ago uh, through, our, through another series that we did. But it's a beautiful picture of these women who said, look, we know God has told us that he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. We know that God has promised a land to us and he's asked us to do whatever we can to do that. And so we're going to even obey the hard law that's there that if we looked at that law today, which we talked about, be like, I'm not doing that. They were willing to do it because they knew that God was going to bring salvation through his people. And people come from children. <laughs> you don't have salvation without children being born. That's why Jesus had to be born to be our savior. And so it's this beautiful picture that as Moses gets ready to give his last testament, because Deuteronomy the, in the Hebrew means the last words. These, these final words is what it means. These are the words of Moses. They're his final words that he gives before he goes up on a mountain and God buries him. He knows this is the end and he's like, okay, this is the last moment I have with God's people to communicate to them Everything God wants them to know so they have a clear picture of who he is and they're ready for what's coming. It's the same thing Jesus did, which we'll look a little bit at today. And so here's Moses laying this out. They're, they're now, they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They're now right at the edge of the promised land, getting ready to go into the promised land. I mean, 40 years, put yourself in the story for a moment. If you're 50 years old or older today, I want you to think about that your 10-year-old self, you saw your parents leave Egypt. You remember the Red Sea splitting and walking through on dry ground as a 10-year-old. You remember a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night leading you. You have watched your whole life. You remember what was said about your mom and dad, and specifically the warriors that were going to have to die before you could go into the promised land. And it's now 40 years later. It's your 50-year-old self, and you're on the cusp of the promised land realizing, oh my goodness, God did it. We're getting ready to enter in, and I have a responsibility. We've been talking about this for 40 years. We've been talking about taking this trip. We've been talking about doing this. I don't know if I know what I'm doing. I don't, I'm not sure what to do, and is God going to be with us? Because, man, that was a hard journey for 40 years. They literally went in circles in the desert. And so if you put yourself there and think of that for a moment, and your parents that are looking at you and saying, we're not going to go, we're going to die, because God said we're going to die, and we're just trying to get you ready, and we're going to give our lives to, to having more children, because 
so they can inherit the promised land and, and to pour our lives to them. And if I don't see the fruit, which I won't, that's fine. It's okay, because I know God someday will bring the ultimate promised land and give us new bodies and new life. And so here they are on the cusp, and it's just interesting that at the end of Numbers, you have these women that long to be mothers. And I don't know if some of you here today are hurting. There may be some of you here today that long to be a mom. Maybe Mother's Day is a hard day for you. For some people, Mother's Day is very difficult because they could never have children. For some people, Mother's Day is difficult because they've lost their mom. For some people, Mother's Day is difficult because they didn't have a good mom. For some days, for some people, Mother's Day is hard because in your heart, when you look at your heart, you think, I, I haven't been a good mom. It can be a hard day, and God wants to say, just like he's going to say through Moses, don't be afraid. He wants to say, restore. God is, Yahweh is giving you. Look, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, over and over again, you're going to see these words. God is giving you. Yahweh is giving you over and over and over again. In other words, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't get it. He's just going to give it. The question is, how are you going to respond to the gift? And originally, we're going to look at the story in a moment. When he tried to take them into the promised land, their response to the gift was, we don't want it. It's, got too, it's too much responsibility. Too much responsibility to do that. Too much responsibility to be a mom, to be... To, to go into the prompt, too much. I can't take that much. You know, one of the greatest lies that we believe in our culture is the quote that says, God will never put more on you than you can handle. That is not biblical, by the way. It's not. He's going to put more on you so that he can show what he can handle. That's the point of this whole message. And so all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, it's the word Yahweh is giving you. Well, Yahweh is giving. You're not going to earn it. It's a gift. Now, how do you respond to it? See, that's the same message of Jesus, that Jesus came and he said, I am the gift of salvation. How are you going to respond to it? And then Moses lays out the law and says, this is what it looks like to properly respond to a gracious gift. Here are the laws that show you how to respond to a precious, great gift. That's why we have the New Testament. Jesus was the gift. Paul lays out laws. Peter lays out laws. John, Jesus laid out the laws and said, this is what it's going to look like to respond to an incredible gift. And if you're a mom, you know that. You know that when you get that child, you look at that child and you go, this is going to be different, <laughs> right? This isn't going to be the same. My life's not going to be the same anymore. And you've got to decide how you're going to respond to that. And it's stressful. They don't give you a manual when they send you home, right? They like show you how to put it in the car seat, how to breastfeed, do a few things. And they're like, raise it. There you go. Enjoy. Try to figure this out. And that's why God gave his people a community. This morning, just remember that God is giving you. It's grace. It's not earned. He's just looking for people who will respond properly to his gifts. He's just looking for people that will look even at the hard things and say, I'm still going to respond to you by faith, in grace. See, what do you expect him to give to you? And how and when do you expect to get it? Because, see, that was the problem that the people had in Moses' day. You see, your story, the good and bad, is your story. 
The issue is will you let God tell it? We have the story of God's people and it's pretty bad sometimes because he said, I'm going to tell it. You see, we don't so much want him as much as we want the stuff he can give us, right? Which is what you find the people of God in Deuteronomy. He's like, you don't so much want me, you just want the stuff I can give you. You see, God's fulfilling his promises and he's looking for those that will be a part of it. That's what he's looking for. And Moses is giving this address. So today, here's what we're going to look at in these first few chapters. He says, resume. Don't be afraid. Resume the journey. You guys have been going around a track in circles for 40 years. And if you look on a map, it's crazy. The children of Israel, we'll look at the map in a minute. When you look at that map, you'll be amazed at how small of an area they lived in. Probably millions of them in a desert. Like it was miraculous they survived and God constantly is telling them, don't be afraid. Can I just tell you that fear is one of the greatest motivators that we have in our world. Fear will motivate you to do all kinds of stupid. It will. It will motivate you, afraid of losing this, afraid of getting this, not getting that. All these fears that we have and all of a sudden our decisions will be controlled by it. And all the way through these first few chapters, Moses is saying over and over, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. You've been afraid. You were afraid in the wilderness. God still was gracious and gave you life. He didn't start over with you even though at one point that almost happened. And all the way through, he says, you can resume the journey. You can keep going. Don't be afraid. God is with you if you know him. In Deuteronomy 1, this is what it says. These are the words of Moses. Words Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him to say to them. In other words, Moses didn't hold back. He told them everything. Even the hard stuff. He gave them the difficult laws that probably when Moses was telling them the law, he probably didn't even understand it. He's like, I, I got to tell you this. I don't want to tell you. I don't even know how we're going to do this. I, this is the law. This is, this is what we're supposed to do. That's exactly what he's saying. He was, I didn't hold back and I wrote it all down. We have five books for Moses because he wrote it down because it was so important that he wanted us to know. Moses told the Israelites everything. This was after they had, he had defeated Sihon and Og, he being God, through Moses. Sihon and Og were two cities we'll look at in a minute, but basically they were the first cities they went into on their journey that God proved, hey, I can defeat these guys. You can go into the promised land and I'll defeat them too. He was giving them confidence. Moses began to explain the law, explain this law saying, the Lord your God spoke to us at Horeb, You've stayed on this mountain long enough. Resume your journey and go. See, I've set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their future descendants. This is the same as the gospel message. Where, where God says, I have set my son Jesus in front of you. It is clear that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He fulfills all the Old Testament. The question is, will you enter into a relationship with him and take possession of the precious promises that await you in the future promised land of heaven? And will you wander in kind of a wilderness right now until you get to that point, believing that God will be with you through the journey? That, that's the message we're living right now 
according to the New Testament. And every day we live it, we're declaring to the world, Abraham was right, Isaac was right, Jacob was right. All of the people that we read about, they knew it and we're participating in it. Isn't it awesome? That's what this is about. Here's the map. Only 200 square miles, roughly, that the children of Israel were stuck in for 40 years. Not even the size of Vermont, okay? They were there for 40 years, a million, probably over a million people wandering around, and it was desert-like. It wasn't like Vermont is. Vermont's beautiful. There's no deserts in Vermont. It's hilly. It's wonderful. Most of what they were wandering in was desert. God had to give them manna, bread, to feed them because there wasn't enough food. He had to provide for them miraculously and extend the life of their clothing even. And when you look at this journey, they leave Egypt, they go down, they go to Mount Horeb, and that's where they receive in Mount Sinai down there. They receive the word of God, then they head back up, and now they're going, and God's like, you see the circle there? That's the wandering. That's the circle. And now God has taken them, that last step, if you see 13, 14, all the way up. Now they're standing. They're, they're up in that area. God's walking them through, getting them ready for this. Isn't it interesting how such a small area of the world God chose to be the most amazing part of the world to have his greatest impact? You may think that we live in just a small part of the world. No big deal. Do you realize the impact that a small group of people can have? You don't believe that a small group of people can have a huge impact? Look at history. Look at the small groups of people that, that rallied people together to overthrow nations in China, in Germany, here in the United States. Great Britain was the greatest empire anyone had ever seen on the face of the planet when we decided to stand up and say no more. Germany, Hitler came in and turned that nation upside down, and they followed him. Stalin, the same way in Russia. Mao in China. Just one person who rallied some people together. God uses simple people to resume his message, to resume what he wants to do in the world, and he tells people that know him, don't be afraid. Mao wasn't afraid. Hitler wasn't afraid. Our founding fathers weren't afraid. Did they have fear? Sure, but they didn't let that determine the journey. Were they right? I don't know. Probably not. They were willing to not be afraid and die for something we don't even know if it was right. We are clear in Scripture that this is right, and it's hard for us to lay down our lives. That's exactly what Moses is trying to communicate. Later, he says, you know, I appointed... For, I told you to appoint for yourselves wise and understanding respected men from each of your tribes, and I will make them your leaders. You replied, what you purpose to do is good. Yeah, we agree. I then set them over you as leaders, officials for thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and officers for your tribe. They were to hear the cases between your brothers, judge rightly between a man and his brother, a foreign resident. Don't show partiality when deciding a case. Listen to small and great alike. Do not be intimidated by anyone for judgment belongs to the Lord. God says, look, I'm going to use people to disciple people. I'm going to raise up leaders that will follow me, and then you're going to have to follow them. And the people said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And all the way through Scripture, we don't like that idea, right? We do not like to be told what to do. 
Neither did the children of Israel. They raised up these leaders and then it became how do we manipulate our leaders to get them to do what we want to do instead of our leaders seeing if they're really telling us what God wants to do. And he says, you're in this mess and you're going to need other people because I can't do it all. Moses can't do it all. Jesus said, I'm going to actually use you. I'm going to use you as my people, my disciples, my people to go out and change the world and to remind them of who I am and what's true about me. He even later calls the 12. Jesus calls the 12 disciples. We'll see in a minute. God calls 12 spies. You know, I'm reminded of this verse when you read through this passage. This is probably one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, but we never read the whole story of it. You see, in verse th- John 3, 13, John 3, 13, not John 3, 16, which everybody knows. In John 3, 13, Jesus uses Moses as the example for the John 3, 16 that everyone knows. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. See, Moses, they were getting bit by snakes because they were disobedient to God. And they wouldn't listen. And they were trying to overthrow leadership. And as a result of that, Moses said, "If the only way to be saved, the only way you're going to be saved is to look at this staff. What he made was a cross. Because the only way to put a snake on a staff is to put a cross member. It just slides so that he probably made a cross, stuck it with a serpent wrapped around it and said, if you look at that, you will be saved. If not, you're going to die. Your choice. Only one way to be saved. Only one way to salvation. There was no other option at this point when they're wandering in the wilderness. None. And Jesus says, for God so loved the world in this way. So let me get this straight. God sends snakes that bite people when they die, and that's loving? You see, we have a bad definition of love. We have so twisted the word love, we don't even know what it is anymore. It's just something we say. It's something we buy cards and candy with the word on it. We don't understand what love really looks like, that God is so concerned for other people that he has given a promise to us that he's concerned about how we look to others because it makes him look bad. And so in love, he looks at us and says, because of the love relationship we have, we need to have a conversation. And that's loving to do that. And Jesus says, for God so loved the world in this way. See, they didn't see this as a loving passage. God's people would have seen this as one of those times when God hated them. And Jesus uses this illustration to demonstrate love. That blows me away. I look at that and go, that doesn't make any sense. But he uses this illustration, and then he says, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And here's why. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. In other words, you're going to die anyway. What's it matter if you get a snake bite and die a few days earlier, 20 years earlier? You're you're, you're not going to survive anyway. You're condemned anyway. That's original back to Genesis. Nobody gets out alive. Why are you so concerned about it? Why aren't you concerned to obey God? You're so concerned about your life and your death that you're not concerned about what God has asked you to do to represent him and the incredible gift he's given you. And so he says, look, the reason Jesus came is not to condemn you. You're already condemned. But we don't accept that today. That's judgmental. God wouldn't be that way. I believe in a God that's loving, 
No, God so loves us that he came as a man, died in our place to say, this is what love looks like. I'll be your substitute. He goes on, he says this, this then is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Remember they were being led by a pillar of fire? <laughs> the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In other words, there are things I want to keep for myself. There are things I want to do that I don't want God to say what I should or shouldn't do in this area of my life. This is mine. This is what I want to do. And God just has to understand that's me and that's what I got. And that's just the way it's going to be. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the lights, light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. This is a Eden 101, right? They sin in the Garden of Eden. What's the first thing they do? They go hide. They go hide. Moms know this. Right? The kids try to hide. They don't come to you and say, Mommy, Mommy, I disobeyed you. Look what I did. It's beautiful. There's flour everywhere. I drew markers all over the wall. Aren't you so proud of me? Typically doesn't happen. Typically you say, hey, and they go, and they try to hide the marker and run away. Right? Like Jesus said, that's exactly what happens. You came in as the authority, as the light in your child's life to help them understand how the world's supposed to work. And when you stepped in, they went, uh-oh. And they hid and ran, because that's our normal response. And then it's your job to hold them accountable to their sin, but also to say, I love you. We need to have a discussion. We need to talk through this, which is what God does with his law. And he says, but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. I love this. So that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. If you're going to be restored and resume your journey and not be afraid, you have to understand that you can come to God. See, that's what the children of Israel always struggled with. They always wanted someone else to go to God on their behalf. They never wanted to, God invited them into a relationship and they're like, we, we need Moses to go. We, we, we don't want to be that close. We're afraid of him. Is there fear of God, awe of God? Absolutely. But he says, I gave you my son and put him on a cross so that you would no longer be afraid to see what links I would go to. I gave you the stories of the Old Testament so you'd see what it looks like. And he says, listen, if you want to live by the truth, if you say, I want the truth, you can come to the light and there is grace, there's forgiveness. Are there consequences? Yeah, absolutely, that we'll see but in the end, you're going to be shown that your works were accomplished by God. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. 40 years of wandering. You think you've been stuck in Bloomington a while? <laughs> it ain't a desert here. It's pretty. We got flowers all over the place. It's gorgeous. They're in a desert. 40 years. And he looks at that generation. And the whole time you're wandering for 40 years, here's what you know. I'm going to die. I'm not getting out of Bloomington. I'm dying here. I'm, we're going to wander, and then I'm going to get right to the edge of, we're going to get ready to move, and everything's going to look perfect, and then it's going to be like, okay, you can't go. We're waiting for you to die so that your kids can have all your stuff and go. And that's how you're going to wander for 40 years. The question is, are you okay with that, and are you okay with living that life so that God can show off? So that God can show your children and grandchildren and show an entire community and, and, and nations around you what it looks like when God accomplishes amazing things. You don't get necessarily the life you want. You get a life you could never dream you'd ever see. See, that's this message. But we get afraid. We get stuck because we don't get this. We try to hide. 
Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came near to them. When Jesus was giving his final words, like Moses is giving his final words, Jesus was giving his final words to his disciple. These are some of the last words he spoke. Jesus came near. Look at that. He came near to them. All the way through the Old Testament and the book of Deuteronomy, God is trying to come near to his people, as near as he can get without killing them because he's holy. All the way through, he's trying to provide ways that he can get near to them, to have a relationship with them. And all the time, the people are like, we don't want to get that close. We don't want Constantly, the pain of that as a father or mother to have your child not want you around is what Moses felt and what God felt. And he said, Jesus came near. Come here. Hey, look, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, resume, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, these commands that I've given. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the exact same message Moses was giving to the people. They were looking forward to a day when the ultimate Savior would come. They knew it wasn't Moses. They were looking forward to a day when God would finish his work. And they were trying to join him in the process. We're in the same boat. And Jesus wants to say, look, I want to be with you to the end of the age. What age? To the end of this 40 years of wandering. (laughs) That age. And at the end of it, there's hope. I'm going to do something amazing. I've promised. It's going to happen. And it happened. So we can go back and read it and go, well, if it happened for them, I think I can believe that it'll happen in heaven one day. I can believe Jesus' words. And he says, teach them to to observe everything I've commanded. Can we just say for a minute that Jesus was the word in John chapter 1? All the words of scripture were given to us by Jesus. I and the Father are one, and I speak on behalf of the Father. Jesus is the word to us. So when we read Deuteronomy, it's not like, oh, it's that old thing that we don't need to worry about. We need to grapple with the fact that this is what our Lord said to us. Now, do some of the things, have they been fulfilled? The promise has been fulfilled and we don't have to do them? Absolutely. There are things there. I've talked about this week after week. We don't have to make the Old Testament sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. We have a better sacrifice. Why would you want to go do one that doesn't work? Right? It's like, it's like taking aspirin when you need an antibiotic. And be like, oh, I love aspirin. Been taking them since I was 10. And I just pop aspirin. I'll feel better. And it'll, it'll heal me eventually. No, it just makes you feel better while you die. <laughs> Why the bacteria is making you sicker and killing you. Would you like some antibiotics? It's the new thing. It, it'll, it'll help you. No. Jesus is a better medicine. He's a better sacrifice. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to him. He goes on and he says this. We then set out from Horeb and went across the great and terrible wilderness, Moses says. He's reminding them in his last message, just like Jesus was reminding his disciples in his last message. We wandered across the terrible wilderness. You saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God commanded us, when we reached Kadesh Barnea. I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. See, the Lord has set the land before you. Go up, take possession of it, as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Don't be afraid or discouraged. God is going to do this just... Obey him. Listen to what he asked you to do. He goes on and he says this, then all of you, oh, go back. 
Then all of you approached me and said, let's send men ahead of us so that they may explore the land. This is when they first get to the edge of the promised land, the first go around of their history. And bring back a report about the route we should go up and the cities we, we will come to. The plan seemed good to me, Moses says. So I selected 12 men from among you, one from each man for each tribe. 12 disciples? It's not an accident. It's not an accident Jesus selected 12. It's not like, oh, I just made up a number. 12 seems good. Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament. He said the spies that you had wouldn't go do. They brought back a bad report. My guys, they're going to go, except for one who betrays him. He goes on, he says, they left and went to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkel, scouting the land. They took some of the fruit from the land in their hands, carried it to us, brought it back, brought us back a report and said, the land your God is giving us is good. He's like, this is so good. Like we saw amazing, 40, they're wandering around in this land for weeks, just gathering, the, seeing all this. And they're like, this is, wow, this is amazing, amazing land. But you were not willing to go up, rebelling against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites so they would destroy us because he hated us. Where can we go now? Where can we go? You ever been there? You ever been there in your relationship with God when there's something that seems right and you can see the beauty, you can see what's good, you know what's good, but you're not getting it. And so then you begin to look at God and say, you're not real, you don't care about me, you don't love me. There are giants in the land, and he goes on to say, when we, our brothers have discouraged us saying the people are larger and taller than we are, the cities are large, fortified to the heavens, we also saw the descendants of Anakim there. That's great, mighty warriors, big, huge people. Well, it's just too hard. I, we, we can't. There's, there's just no, you know what? God hated us that he would do. And they grumbled. Can I just tell you how easy it is to grumble? Sure, it's, it's fine to grumble when everything's going well, when God just says, oh yeah, go into the land and I'll just like bring a bulldozer and clear the path for you. Right? That's the new term, by the way, for parenting in the United States. It's called snowplow parents. Snowplow parenting, where you will take a snowplow and, and you will plow everybody out of the way so your kid can get where they need to go. Used to be helicopter parents. We stopped flying around, they say. Now we're in snowmobile, we're in, we're in big trucks just plowing through things. You got parents calling the dean of students at IU saying, you need to change my kid's grade. And if you don't, I'm going I'm to sue you because I paid you money for a grade. That's happening. Grumbling. Wait, wait. I thought this was going to be easy. I thought the gift was going to be like, I get this gift and it's mine and I don't have to share it. I don't have to do anything with it. I don't have to, I don't have to maintain it. I just, I just got a gift and it's wonderful and it just keeps working all the time. Like, no. There's work to be done. You, you have the gift of life, but there's a life to be lived, and you live in a land that has these things there, but the fruit is so good. And can I just tell you that for most of us, the reason we don't go is not because we don't believe God couldn't produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's not because we don't think God could do amazing things. It's because we look at the other stuff and say, God hates me. I'm not doing that. We grumble. He says, you grumbled in your tents. 
You can't, you can, listen, we can't avoid bad news, but we can choose how to respond. Bad news is bad news in our world. We know that it's going to be bad, and it's their response that's the problem. So I said to you, don't be terrified or afraid of them. Moses repeats himself, why are you so afraid? You've seen God split a sea, bury Egyptians. We've already seen two cities wiped out. We, like, do you understand what's happening? Like, why are you afraid? He's provided miraculously for us. He's done all these things. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you just as you saw him do for you in Egypt. And you saw in the wilderness how God, the Lord your God, carried you as a man carries his son. The picture of that is just beautiful. As a man carries his son. All along the way you traveled until you reached this place. But in spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God who went before you on the journey to seek out a place for you to camp. He went in the fire by night and in the cloud by day to guide you on the road you were to travel. When the Lord heard your words, he grew angry and he swore an oath. None of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give to your fathers. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He will see it and will give him and his descendants the land on which he has set foot because he followed the Lord completely. The Lord was angry with me also because of you and said, you will not enter there either. Joshua, son of Nun, who attends you will enter it. Encourage him for he will enable Israel to inherit it. He's reminding them, I'm not going with you. I got to die with you guys. I don't get out of this. I've been faithful to God knowing I'm not going to get to go to the promised land. I've been faithful to him anyway. And I've been pouring my life into Joshua. Do you realize that Jesus' name is Joshua? It means Yahweh saves. He goes, Moses, you're not going to save. Yahweh is going to save. That's the guy's name. Joshua means Yahweh saves. So Yahweh saves is going to save the people, not you. Are you okay with that? Well, yeah, he's got a good name. I'll let that fly. Like, it's a beautiful picture of God saying, Moses, it's okay, I got you. I've got the people. But this is what's got to happen. This is how it's going to go down. Your little children, who you said would be plunder, your sons, who don't know good from evil, will enter there. I will give them the land, and they will take possession of it. Can you imagine? So seriously, everything I built up, everything I've done, all the good, all, I follow all that, and you're just going to give it to my kids? Uh, wait, huh? Well, yeah, they're going to have to choose too. I'm not just giving it to them. They're going to have to respond to it well. Hopefully, you'll get them ready to respond well. But you're to turn back and head for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. You answered me, oh, we've sinned against the Lord. We'll go up and fight just as the Lord has commanded us. Then each of you put on his weapons of war and thought it would be easy to go up to the hill country. Well, I repented. I asked forgiveness. I'm sorry, God. And now he's just going to give me the power to fix everything. That's a modern Christian version of the prosperity gospel. Doesn't matter what God said. It doesn't matter the whole counsel of God's word. I, I've seen God, now that we've said we're sorry, everything's going to work out okay. Nope, it doesn't. Because God already said what they needed to be patient in doing, which was you're going to need to give your life for the life of others so that the people that go into the land see some parents who are willing to give their lives for the life of others to hold them accountable to the law of God and to walk them through that so they're ready to take the land. He goes on, he says, but the Lord said to me, tell them, don't go up and fight for I'm not with you to keep you from being defeated by your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you didn't listen. 
You rebelled against the Lord's command and defiantly went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites, or the Amorites who lived there, came out against you and chased you like a swarm of bees. They routed you from Seir as, long, as far as Hormuth. When you returned, you wept before the Lord, but he didn't listen to your requests or pay attention to you. For this reason, you stayed in Kadesh as long as you did. God didn't listen to your requests because they, you still weren't asking to obey him. You were asking, God, provide a way that I don't have to obey. F find a way around me having to obey you and do what you've asked me to do. I, I want The requests they were asking for, they were weeping, they were showing a lot of emotion, and God's like, I think I've already told you what to do, and you keep just trying to do the opposite, thinking it's going to fix it, thinking it's going to be easy. I've asked you to do this. Will you do it? It's when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Right? We don't like that verse. Because we know what a cross means. And he says, no, you're going to need to die daily. And he says, I love this. He said, you returned. Now you're just upset of the consequences. You're not really repentant. You're just mad that you got the consequences. In 70 AD, the Jewish people tried to overthrow the Romans. This was after Jesus had died and been resurrected. And in 70, they tried to overthrow the Romans and they were routed. The temple was torn down and it's never been rebuilt since. Why? Because they didn't listen. God sent a savior and he made it clear and they thought, we can take the Romans, we can do this, we, we can rise up. And the Romans, and it became really bad. And you want to know who got hurt the most as a result of that revolt? Christians. Because the one group of people that the Romans and Jews could blame together were those Christian rebels who tried to change everything. When those Christians were just simply living humble lives till Jesus came back, honoring and obeying him. You see, we like to pray to try to get God to change his word. We don't like to pray to ask God to give us the strength to obey it. God, I know what your word says. I don't think I can do it. I need your help. Help me. I'll put the people in my life, these leaders that will help me. Acts 1.4 says it this way. When Jesus, again, his last words to his disciple, disciples were this. While he was gathered together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This is what God said. Don't go fight. Don't leave Jerusalem yet, but wait for the Father's promise. Wait till God says go to resume. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? This is the same question the guys who wouldn't listen and were grumbling were asking. They were standing on the edge of the promised land like, well, you said it's not now, but we're going to take it anyway. We're going because we want it and we see it and we're sorry. And so that means you're okay with it and we're going to go get it. And God's, he says, no. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time periods the father has set by his own authority. You keep wanting to know when Instead of asking who, how, I just want to obey you. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Yeah, the power of God was in the power of his presence by the fire and the cloud and the holy of holies. He says, you'll, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of the sight. Isn't that awesome? These Jewish guys are sitting there and then a the cloud goes, shoop, ooh, and they're like, wait, cloud? I remember some people being led by a cloud. Should we follow? I mean, do you think they had that conversation? Like, 
do we follow it? I don't know. Like, dude, wait, wait, it just disappeared. I don't know what to do now. Like, isn't it beautiful? Jesus just is taken up and he's in the cloud by day. It's like, now what? And they said, well, you're going to have to wait. He said, then we turned back and headed for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. The Lord had told us and we traveled around the hill country of Seir for many days. The Lord said to me, You've been traveling around this hill country long enough. Turn north. Command the people. You're about to travel through the territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau. So now they're coming back around. They've traveled the 40 years. They're coming to the promised land. Now they're going through some other lands. And one of the lands is Jacob's brother Esau. And God says, hey, I've given Esau an inheritance. Don't, don't hurt him. Don't, don't fight with him. And Esau treats them decently, actually. He lets them buy goods, lets them pass through and says, God, God says, I told Abraham, anybody who would bless my people, I'll bless them. So Esau's blessed. See, that's how it's going to work. We're going to march through. People who want a blessing are going to say, come on, we love you. You can buy our stuff. God doesn't even steal it from them. He says, I'll give you gold and silver for your stuff when we pass through. That's the best garage sale ever, right? Like just everybody lines the streets with garage sale stuff. Children of Israel are buying stuff when they come through. I mean, this is beautiful. And then they're just going to leave and say, it's yours. It's not ours. For the Lord God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over you in this journey through the immense wilderness. The Lord your God has been with you these past 40 years and you've lacked nothing. Listen, if you're sitting here, it's because there's nothing you really lack. You were able to get here today. You should look back at your story and find incredible gratitude that you have life and health and breath. That you have someone sitting next to you who you know, who hasn't killed you, because most of the Bible's like family killing each other. Like, like this is a beautiful picture. He says, look, God has been with you. You've lacked nothing. We're sitting at a unified track meet. Some of our high school students do that in our church. And we're sitting at the unified track meet yesterday. And I'm sitting by my daughter and another college-age girl. And, and it was touching as these kids run. If you've never been, it's, it's, it's a regular, like normal athletes that run with special needs students. And they, they do that together. And, and, and it's, it's a part of the Special Olympics. It's a sport now. And more schools are picking it up. It's this beautiful picture. People are cheering. Like it's just a different atmosphere. It's a beautiful atmosphere. And you see these kids who can barely walk, who are running 100 meters. Kids that are running in circles like the children of Israel on a track, they can barely make it. And the crowd is just cheering them on in their race as they try to finish. One kid fell down four times, had a helmet on, picked himself up and tried to run again. And as we're watching this, all I could think about was what I was going to preach today. And people cheering and the, God says the nations are going to cheer when they see you, those that want to. Those that aren't bitter and hard of heart. And I look over and my daughter's crying and this other girl's crying. People are crying in the stands and wiping tears. And I'm like, wow, what a beautiful picture. They're running in circles around the track. It's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal. And I thought to myself, these kids, my daughter looked at me, she goes, Dad, these kids lack so much. They, they can't do this and they're doing it. Most of us would never even step out to do it. They have no excuse, and they've got all the excuse not to be out there, not to try, and they're out there. And she goes, it just causes me to be so thankful. 
So thankful. That's what God's trying to get from Moses through his people. The Lord said to me, show no hospitality or show no hostility towards Moab and do not provoke them to battle for I'll not give you any of their land as a possession since I have given R as their possession of the descendants of Lot. God's keeping his promise to Lot. God keeps his promises. He said, look, I promised Lot that land. Abraham said, you choose. Lot chose the best land. That's Lot's land now. I'll give you different land because I keep my promises. And then he goes, the time we spent traveling from Kadesh Barna until we crossed the Zered Valley was 38 years until the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. Indeed, the Lord's hand was against them to eliminate them from the camp until they had all perished. You know, that's a hard teaching. But the reality is they're going to perish anyway. Right? Like you're going to perish anyway. At least they had a purpose in perishing. <laughs> Pretty much know when I'm going. Well, I can get ready, get my kids ready, get my family ready. I can get my finances and my things. I can, I can get things in order because I know in 38 years, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I get clocks ticking. And it may be before that, but I know I'm not getting past there. See, that's a response to say, God, you're good. You're going to provide. And I can't wait for others to see it, for others to have it, for others to experience it. I don't have to experience it myself because I know you. You've been good to me. You should have killed me for the sin I did, and you haven't. So I'm just grateful I'm still here, and I get to be a person on the earth glorifying you, helping others understand who you are. Goes on and he says, When all the fighting men had died among the people, the Lord spoke to me. Today you're going to cross the border of Moab at Ar. When you get close to the Ammonites, don't show any hostility to them or fight with them, for I will not give any of the Ammonites land as a possession. I've given it to the possession to the descendants of Lot. He says again, You're going to go through their land and their land. It's not yours. Keep moving. I mean, these are people that have been in the desert. Your tendency when you've been in a desert 40 years is once you get into a land that's green, that has wells and nice stuff, you're like, Okay, this is, we're settling down. This is a nice place to settle down. And God's like, nope, keep going. That's not yours. That's not yours. That's not yours. You don't have permission. Goes on and he says, Then the Lord said, get up, move out, and cross the Ammon Valley. See, I've handed Sihon, the Ammonite king, that's who we read about earlier, of Heshbon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession of it. Engage him in battle. Today I will begin to put the fear and dread of you and the people everywhere under heaven. They will hear the report about you, tremble and be in anguish because of you. See, this is what God's trying to do. Right now, people say that we're at one of the highest levels of persecution that we've been at in a long time for Christians around the world as they've tracked it especially in the last few hundred years, that the level of persecution is off the charts. Why? Because people are hearing the reports about people repenting, coming to Christ, giving their life, and they can't stand to not be in control of them, and so they'll kill them rather than just letting them be gracious, loving, caring people in the land that they live. These Christians aren't trying to cause a war because God said, we're not going to war anymore. That was one time in his history. He said, now I'm going to bring the war someday. You're just warning people it's coming and he looks and he says they're going to hear the report tremble and be in anguish nations are in anguish over Christians China is in anguish over Christians right now Chinese leaders know that if Christians actually begin to live out what they want to live out they're going to lose control of their country because they can't motivate people with fear anymore they know it and if we lose the power of fear, we can't get them to do what we want. You think we're any different in our country? We're not. Our news media is constantly about fear. It's what sells. 
And instead of looking and saying, what does God say? We get all afraid. We get worried about what's going to happen to our kids. And God says, you were trying to protect your kids, but now it's gone bad for you. You didn't realize what you were trying to do. I love this. And then he goes on, he says, I sent messengers with an offer of peace to Sihon. Look at this. Sihon deserves to die. He's a sinful dude. He's a wicked dude. Terrible what they would worship and do. They did a child sacrifice. It was awful what they did. And he says, let us travel through your land. We'll keep strictly to the highway. We'll not turn to the right or left. You can sell us food in exchange for silver so we may eat and give us water for silver so we may drink. Only let us travel through on foot just as the descendants of Esau who lived in Seir did for us and the Moabites in Ar. Until we cross the Jordan into the land the Lord our God is giving you. You can keep everything. This is what Christians are telling their Chinese government. Look, we're not here to overthrow you. We don't really care. We're, just, we just, we're not going to give you authority over God. And they're like, oh no, can't handle that. That's exactly what Sihon does. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us travel through the land. The Lord our God made his spirit stubborn, his heart obstinate in order to hand him over to you as he has now taken place. A lot of people say, so did God make his heart hard? Listen, all God has to do to make your heart hard is just take his hand off and let you be yourself. <laughs> That's it. You want a hard heart? Just focus on you. You'll get real hard real fast. You won't give a rip about anybody but you. So it's not like God came in and said, I'm going to make him have a hard heart. I'm going to get him. He just said, look, you haven't responded to me, the generation before you. All of your people, you've watched my people wandering around for 40 years. You've heard the stories. You know you're, they're coming your way, and you've done nothing to ask about me. I'm done. And he says, then the Lord said to me, see, I've begun to give Sihon his land to you, begin to take possession of it. So Sihon and his whole army came out against us for battle at Jahaz. The Lord our God handed him over to us. We defeated him and the sons and his whole army. At that time, we captured all the cities and completely destroyed the people of every city, including the women and children. We left no survivors. We say we have a loving God. This isn't the only city that the children of Israel do this to in the Old Testament. Can a loving God do this? Is he allowed to do this? Because there's no way that's loving, right? Depends. Depends. Some of you haven't raised children long enough to have to let them go to kick them out of your house, to, to let them suffer the consequences of their life and to watch them destroy themselves, hoping and praying that they might come back to surrender to God. If you've lived with that, you understand and you pray for your children that they survive another day so they might repent. Because here's the deal, we're all going to be destroyed anyway. So you look at this verse and say, God couldn't do that. You realize that like, that's, you're all going to die anyway. Your children are going to die. The women are going to die. The men are going to die. It's not a matter of how we're going to die. We're all going to die. And the issue you have to ask is, is there any way of salvation? Because we all deserve to die. And God says, yes, there's a way to salvation. I offered it to Sihon. He wouldn't take it. I've got no other choice. I don't know what else to do but to use you as my instruments of discipline. This is a hard thing to believe that a loving God. But can I tell you this? God knows the heart of every person. And so God, when he claims someone's life, he knows their heart. He knows their time. He knows it all. And do we trust him even in the midst of it?
that we trust that God is good, even when we look at this and go, goodness gracious. Because if you want to start throwing this out, then you start throwing all the rest of the Bible out. And can I just tell you that there are some things you need to realize. Number one, it doesn't say that these people were left without eternal life. Who knows if some of them might not have repented when they finally saw it coming. Kind of like we do the last will and testament for someone on death row. They get ready to pump him full of the drugs or the electric chair. And if he repents and says, oh, I love Jesus now. They don't go, oh, okay, well, let's just walk out, see you, have a nice life. We'll just open the jail up, you can leave. It's not how it works. You weep with him, you celebrate that he repented, and you watch him die. The consequences of sin are serious, and that's what God is saying right here. He goes on and he says, Then we turned and went up the road to Basham. Ah, king of Basham came out against us with his whole army at Idri. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have handed him over along with his whole army and his land. Do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshmon. At that time we took possession, gave it to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and so part of them stayed back. That was their inheritance that they got. I commanded you at that time, those tribes he commanded, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your fighting men will cross over in battle formation ahead of your brothers, the Israelites. In other words, I've given you this land, but that doesn't mean you don't have to go fight for your brothers. You still need to go fight for your brethren. So the women and children are going to stay here in the land, but you, the Gadites and Manasseh, you're going to go fight. And then he goes on, and he says, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land your God has given them across the Jordan. Then each of you may return to the possession I have given you. It's over and over again. I commanded Joshua at that time, your own eyes have seen everything the Lord God has done to those kings, to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms you're about to enter. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord, your God, fights for you. He fights for you. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. You see, we live in such fear of everything, and God says, don't be afraid of them. God is going to fight for you. At that time, I begged the Lord. This is beautiful. They've just taken two lands. This is a beautiful picture as to Moses' heart. This is a beautiful picture as to our heart. And a relationship with God that Moses had that was just beautiful. At that time, after I've seen what God just did and we're moving to the promised land and oh my goodness, we're coming to the Jordan River. It's coming. Moses says, oh, at that time, I begged the Lord, Lord God, you've begun to show your greatness and power to your servant. For what God is there on heaven and earth who can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours? Please let me cross over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. Is there something that you long for? Is there something that you know that other people are going to get, that other Christians are going to get? Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's finances. And you look around and you say, well, those other Christians have it. They get it. And you are begging God, let me have it. He goes on and he says, but the Lord was angry with me on account of you would not listen to me. The Lord said, that's enough. That's enough. Don't speak to me again about this matter. It's enough. Look, I'm going to save you. I'm going to lead you, but Moses, enough. You know that you're just suffering the consequences of your own action and your generation's actions, and it's okay. I got you. I got you. You will be raised up. I've got you. You're not going to get to go. It's okay. It's okay. 
Then he tells him, go to the top of Pisgah and look to the west, north, south, and east and see it with your own eyes for you will not cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will cross over the people and enable them to inherit the land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley facing Beth Peor. He said, Moses, here's what's going to happen. You're going to climb up to the mountain. I'm going to let you see it. I'm going to let you see the promised land. I'm going to, you're going to be standing there. You're going to see the Jordan. You're going, to, you're going to see the land. You're going to look around. and you're, just, you're going to see the promise, and then I'm going to bury you under the rocks. I'm going to bring you home to be with me. Because the promise you really long for is just temporary. The greatest promise you can have is to be with me. And Moses, I'm going to have you come and be with me. How much better is that than a promised land? See, he gets it. That's why Moses is like, okay, I'll do it. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I'm teaching you to follow. So now Moses has said, look, I'm going to climb that mountain in just a minute. When I climb that mountain, I'm not coming back. Joshua's leading you. And then Moses begins to talk through the commands that they need to get ready to obey as they go. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I'm teaching you to follow so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did. You've seen what the Lord has done. You've seen it. You, you know what he's done. And I'm going to disappear. I'm going to go up on this mountain and my time is over. But I'm telling you, oh, I can't wait to tell you the next several chapters and remind you of how good God is and his law and to get you ready. I'm just grateful that I get the chance to get you ready over the next several chapters to worship our God, to celebrate him, to go into the land, to make him known to all the nations. And do you realize that any nation that would repent, God would let them repent. He offered peace all the time to these nations. He said, hey, he offered it. Some nations he said you can't offer peace to because he had already offered it to them a long time. They're not going to take it. He goes on, and I love, we go back to Jesus' words. Then Jesus came near to them, just like he came near to Moses. Just like God came near to Moses, and he said, all authority has been given to me. Moses, this isn't about you. It's about my authority. I've used you. You've seen it on heaven and on earth. Go, go there for you. Go tell the people, and then go climb the mountain. And he says, they're going to go make disciples of all nations. The goal is to get people to be dis disciplined people to God. That's what a disciple is. It's a disciplined person, a person who follows what God says. That's what a disciple is. That's what the word means. And he says, that's going to be your job is to make discipled people, baptizing them. Oh, wait, we crossed through the Red Sea. We crossed through the Jordan as a symbol of baptism. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's what Moses is getting ready to do. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Can I just encourage you that God is, wants to be with you? You can reject him. You can grumble. You can stick your hand out. You can want to keep him at a distance. But God says, I, I want to be near you. I want you to be near my people. I want my people to, to invite me to be a part of what they're doing so that we can do it together. I want you to obey. Listen, are you afraid to trust God? Are you afraid to resume believing fully in him because you know the cost he might require of you and you're unwilling to pay it? Why? What more does God have to prove to you, to me, 
through His Word, through what He's done in our life to prove how good He is. That even in the midst of our greatest pain, even in the midst of having a child who can't run, who has a helmet on, and you watch him fall down three times, can you imagine if you were the parent that day? I don't know whose parent that kid was, but can you imagine hearing 200, 300 people cheering your son on as he falls three times and gets back up and continues to finish the race? Can you imagine the smile of that parent? That it's worth it raising my child. It's worth people seeing all they have and what they should be grateful for. And my child is giving glory and showing what life and how great life can be if you'll just smile and live it. I'm telling you, when you go to those meets and you see those kids, it's amazing. Because they know the life they're going to live. Their parents know the life they're going to live. They're not fighting it. They know it. They've embraced it. And they love each other. And they're, and they're, they're driving. to. It's a beautiful picture. It's the same. Let me ask you, will you surrender? Do you need to wander for 40 years and die? And everybody's just kind of like, man, I, I, hope, I hope they made it in. I hope their hearts were right. Do you want to be part of the ones that Joshua says at the beginning of Joshua, don't be afraid. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going. And you rally around and say, man, we're, we want to go and make disciples. And that starts with us being disciples. It starts with us surrendering our hearts to God, saying, God, I want to be your disciplined follower. I want to obey your commands. I want to come under what you're doing. I want to follow you. Change me. I can't do it. I recognize the gift of Jesus, the gift of life, the gift of a covenant, the gift of grace that you gave because you give it. Lord, you're giving it. We pick this picture because it's like Moses standing, watching, looking. Maybe some of you are looking and you look and you say, where's my promised land? Maybe God's given you a glimpse and can I just tell you that God has promised to those who believe in Jesus a promised land, a heaven, a new heaven and a new earth that we will live on forever in new bodies. It's a promise. And God keeps his promises, and that's what we just read. He kept his promise to Lot. He kept his promise to Esau. He kept his promise to all those people because God keeps his promises. And so if you accept Christ and you ask him and you surrender, God says, I'll be with you. And we're going to go on a journey together. And I'm going to tell you how to live. And it's going to be tough. And I'll forgive you. And you're going to come back to me, come back to the light. And, but we're going to go on this journey and it's going to change nations. It's going to change people's lives, starting in your own home.